Praise the Lord. This morning, uh, we are going to be in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, it's a psalm of David. It's a maskeel in Hebrew, which means a song of instruction. And so uh, it's a song of uh, praise to God, but one of teaching. And, and, and we just ask the Lord to help us learn something. I've titled this this morning, The Joy of Forgiveness. The Joy of Forgiveness. And again, we're in Psalm 32. And it begins this way, it says, of David, a masculine. By the way, you know, whenever you're reading the Psalms, you should always read, you know, that's scripture. When it says by such, such a person and it's a masculine or it's a different type of the Psalm, that's, that's inspired. So don't skip over that. Uh, that helps us to understand where we're going with the Psalm. So of David, a masculine, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat, Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked. But the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous ones, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The joy of forgiveness. We don't know for certain when this psalm was written. However, uh, there's some good speculation, and I think we can tie it in to relating to David's forgiveness that he found after he had sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah. And just for those that may not be familiar with the story, there was a day when, you know, later in David's life when uh, he sent his army out to battle and he stayed behind, which was uncommon for David. He would normally be out there leading the charge, but he stayed behind and his army was out fighting. And one night as he was out walking on the top on the terrace or on the wall of the city, and there in the city of David, the, it's a very steep valley and David's house is right at the top and I've actually been on that wall and you can stand on that wall and you look down on the ancient walls of the city of David and people would build their houses right on top and of course in those days they didn't have roofs like we do. In fact, they'd have no roof at all in some cases or just little thatched coverings. And so he looks down one night, he sees Bathsheba, she's an incredibly beautiful woman to him and she's out there in her house taking a bath or whatever she was doing. David looks down, he lusts after her, he sends for her and he sleeps with her. And shortly after this event, she sends him word and says, I'm pregnant. And so now he's got a major problem. Not only has he uh, committed adultery with another man's wife, but now she's going to be pregnant. And of course, as king of Israel, as leader of the nation, both uh, militarily and spiritually, now he's got a major issue on his hands here. What's he going to do? Because when this comes out, it's not going to be good, right? When he's found out. So what's he do? He he sends uh, uh, Uriah. He calls for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. She, he comes back from the battle. He gets some kind of liquored up on some wine, hoping that he's going to get drunk and go home and sleep with his wife, and they'll think the child is his. But he doesn't do that. In fact, Uriah says, I will not go home to my wife as well the armies of Israel in battle. And he wouldn't do it. So David 
sent a letter with Uriah to the commander and said, put Uriah in the heat of the battle, withdraw from him and let the army, other armies kill him. So David had him murdered in battle, right, to cover this problem. And after he was dead, why then he took Bathsheba as his wife because she was free to remarry because her husband was dead. So David had committed grievous sins, horrible sins, terrible sins. And we're going to refer to this story throughout. And, you know, we might think of in our life here, have we ever experienced that kind of problem? Have we ever done something so bad that, you know, we're really in trouble here and we know it. And then we try to do it further things to conceal the problem so that we, we don't uh, experience that. But, you know, David begins this psalm with this incredible, joyful expression, how wonderful it is, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And that is true. There is so much beauty in forgiveness. There is so much joy in forgiveness. One that God does not charge with iniquity or sin. One in whose spirit is no deceit. That's a joyful way to live. You know, as we think of the people of the world today that, you know, they, they like to say, well, you know, it's Christians are boring and they have a boring life. No, we don't actually. We have a, jo- a life of joy and peace and of great happiness. Because we know the joy of the forgiveness of God and how joyful that life is. It is a life of free of guilt and of shame and of total freedom in Christ. But you know, when we get into those situations like David did, right, what do we experience? Fear of being discovered. Anger perhaps, rage, suspicion, hurt, stress beyond belief. I mean, we get so stressed we can shake with fear because, if, uh, because we don't want to be found out for what we've done. The heinousness of it grips us. Have you ever been there? Well, you know, this is kind of a trite example, but I remember distinctly when I was 12 years old, when, so this would be 1978. Uh, me and my cousins, I lived right next door to my cousins, and they were four and five years older than me. So I was a young lad at 12. We'd ride our bikes 10 miles into the into town. The city of Trenton, Ontario, at that time was probably about 10,000 people. We lived at 10 miles out in the country. We'd ride our bikes into town every Saturday and get into all kinds of trouble. And this one day, I went into uh, Woolworths. Remember that store? <laughs> I think it was a Woolworths store, and I stole a bike chain. For my bike, and what I did was, I still remember, I took the shoe off of my foot because the bike chain was in this really neat package, and I put it in the bottom of my shoe, put my foot back in the shoe, walked out of the store. And you know, uh, we used to just, every weekend we would try to steal stuff and get away with it. That's what we did. And I thought, oh man, look, you know, I'm gonna be looking good to my cousins here. Woohoo! You know? So I get home, and uh, you know, of course I didn't want my parents to find out, like, where to get the bike chain, right? Because they knew I didn't have one. And so I, I set it in my room somewhere. I guess, I don't know what I did with it. Maybe I left it in my shoe. I can't remember this detail. But my dad found it still in the package. And he knew that I had no money. And he confronted me. He says, Mark, where'd you get the bike chain? And he, he got me to confess that I had stolen it, which, and, and in that moment, the guilt, you know, and the shame. And so my dad, I'll never forget this. He says, well, guess what? We're going down to that store and you're going to confront the manager and, and fess up to what you've done. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was shaking with fear, right? A 12-year-old, i got to go stand in front of the store manager, tell him I stole it, say I'm sorry, and return it to him in person. That's what my dad made me do. Normally, he would get out a piece of leather that he had handcrafted and apply it to my backside. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, in this case, uh, it was it was bad, right? So have you ever been in these situations? I mean, that's a childish thing. It's still not good, of course. And by the way, the store manager 
was very gracious to me and he was very happy that I had confessed and, you know, all is well, Mark. But he says, I don't want to see you in the store for at least 30 days. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think I ever went back <laughs> to that store, you know. But he forgave me and it was fine. And my dad forgave me. And, you know, after that was over, it's like, oh, you know, freedom, right? Forgiveness has come. Now it's okay. I mean, it wasn't okay, but you know what? We're moving on and everything is fine. And that's what David's talking about, right? Have you ever been there? Sometimes, you know, we, we don't seek forgiveness. We've done something. We don't seek it out. And so we're going to live with that stress. We're going to live with that pain for years sometimes. Sometimes people don't even seek it and they just prefer to live with it. And it creates bitterness and anger and rage. And we, we, we sit on it for years. But you know, as good as the forgiveness of people is, when we've wronged someone else, the forgiveness of God is, is far greater. It's far greater than any forgiveness we can even receive here. And what joy to know the forgiveness of God. To know that, you know, from an eternal perspective, we have been forgiven by God. And you know what? Sometimes people won't forgive us in this life. You know, even if we ask for forgiveness sincerely, they might not extend that to us and say, no, I will not forgive you. I will never forgive you. Get out of my face. And that is a reality that we face in life. But you know what God says when we come to Him and ask for forgiveness, we will receive it. We're going to think about that in a moment. But you know, we can have the forgiveness of God even when men refuse to offer it to us. We can still know the forgiveness for sins through God. So how can it be that God will not charge us with sin? That's what it says here. I mean, David is saying, look, how happy is the one, right, who God does not charge with iniquity, does not charge you with sin, does not put sin to your account. And, 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 and in your, your, your spirit, right, there's no deceit. How is that possible for us to be without sin? We all know the Bible teaches that all have sinned, every one of us. There's no one who has ever lived that's without sin. And yet, what's David talking about when he says, how wonderful it can be that God doesn't put any sin to your account? And that you don't have deceit in your spirit. Well, I don't know about you, but I've been deceitful lots of my life. I mean, you know, we're not always honest people. We, we are deceitful. And when I was a young child, I was very deceitful. Like I said, for a period of time, up until that bike chain, I'd go to town and try to steal whatever I could every, every Saturday. You know, in those days, you still had, uh, you know, records. You know, those were really difficult to steal. But then the cassette tapes came out. And those were a little easier to slip into the pocket, right? It's hard to steal an LP. <laughs> They're big. You can't stuff it into your coat. We used to steal music as much as we could just to do it, right? Deceit, sin. We have a problem. We've all sinned. And yet David says, God does not charge you with sin. And we can have this deceit-free uh, situation. How can we be free from it? We're going to come back to that. Let's move on to verse 3 and 4 for now. It says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Selah. David here shares that, you know, while he was not confessing, and from the scriptures we would deduce that it could have been up to one year before David finally confessed this sin with, with, with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. He was living with this incredible guilt, this incredible shame, this incredible pain for up to a year. And he says, look, I kept silent. I, I, when I was silent, in other words, before I confessed my sin to God, my bones became brittle from groaning all day long. The stress weighed on him to such an extent. And, and this bones being brittle was a picture of just total without strength and defeat. But he acknowledges that day and night your hand was heavy on me. You see, God was dealing with him and weighing heavily upon his heart. 
to bring conviction of sin. His strength was drained. It was all gone. And for a year he lived under this incredible burden and stress as God was dealing with him. That's what it's like when we don't confess our sins. When we try to hang on to it and cover it. We try to put it out of our mind and yet it can weigh upon us terribly. And you know, I, I don't have any specific examples, but I've seen these documentaries where sometimes, you know, for murderers, uh, you know, who have confessed eventually, you know, living with the guilt of committing murder, and then they will testify that once it all came out, once they finally confessed, that the release that they had at least from that, you know, the, the guilt and shame of hiding it, they've now at least been honest. And there's a release with that to, to come forward and be honest. And to not live with hiding it all the time. David here is just, he's weighed down. He's been living with this heavy hand of God upon him. And all of this stress that goes with unconfessed sin. You know, and for Christians, and like for David who knew the Lord, right? It can result in depression-like symptoms. That's what's going on here, right? It's very much like depression, right? He's tired all the time. He's weighed down with guilt and stress all the time. He's groaning all the time. But it's the hand of God upon him. God is disciplining him. And God's heavy his hand upon us to bring us to the acknowledgement of our sin as, as his children. When we sin against God, we say no to him, he's going to bring a heavy hand on us. And he's going to, in his love and grace, try to get us to that point of acknowledging our sin. That's what he was doing in David's life. He said, you know what, David? You're not getting away with that. I'm going to bring a heavy hand on you until you acknowledge to me your sin. And so David was under this incredible stress, this incredible burden, and we don't often talk about the discipline of the Lord in our lives, and yet Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, we probably won't take the time to read the whole thing here, but in Hebrews 5, it talks about the discipline of God in the life of a child of God. It says, you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. So God is our father, even for his children. You know, we, you know, when we sin against God after we're saved, we're not consigned to hell and to condemnation. Praise God. We're saved. We're still saved and we're still forgiven even in that moment of sin. Yet the Lord will discipline his children just like a loving father does. Just like my dad says, you know what, Mark? I'm going to make you do something here that's going to hurt you bad. You're going to go confess in my presence. I'm telling you, man, that was worse. I would have preferred just, okay, dad, just give me the leather, man. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have to stand in front of that store manager. That's really bad. Just, just do it, man. <laughs> you know? Uh-uh. Let's go. Get in the car. As a loving father, God disciplines his children. When we refuse to acknowledge our sin, when we walk in pride before God, when we refuse to repent, he will bring discipline into our life. He will bring a heavy hand upon us. And that's what's going on in our life. It's not always the case, by the way. I'm not trying to suggest to you that just because you know you feel the heavy hand of God, it's necessarily discipline. But it could be. It could be. It could be there's something in your life that needs to be revealed. And the bottom line is this. We will never do well if we ignore the sin in our life. We're just, it's just the reality of it. We never will. You can't escape it. We can't escape its effects. We can't escape God's discipline. We can think we can sweep it under the carpet. It will never work. And we will never do well if we ignore the sin in our life. And so David shares with us, man, he was under great burden. Yes, brother? Sure, yeah. Is it not true that Probably, yeah. 
but, could be. Uh, but you're saying that he can come sure. out of the back and Right, yes, of course, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. I have no doubt about that. Let's go on to verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. You know, there was a day about a year after David did all that sin, right, that God in his grace sent Nathan the prophet before David. And Nathan kind of set David up that day with a story. <laughs> right? To, to, King, I've got a, I got a, I got a problem out here. I need your judgment in this matter. There was this really rich guy and he had some people coming over for a party and he didn't want to like sacrifice, like kill one of his own, uh, animals to make the dinner so he stole it from his poor neighbor the guy only had one lamb and he he just stole it from him and he roasted it for his buddies for a barbecue what do you think about that well david got up off his throne i mean he was enraged as he should have been that guy's gonna pay right he was just so angry about the how could a rich man with like a thousand sheep steal the last one of a poor man just to make a barbecue and nathan says you're the man and in that moment David's sin was revealed. You, as the king of Israel, with all of your wives and all of your power, you went and stole from this man his only wife. And David was, in that moment, broken before God. Praise the Lord. In that moment, he was crushed as he finally, the Lord breaks through and exposes his heart for what it was. And David says, then I acknowledge my sin to you. And I didn't hide it. And I just, I confessed it. And we have Psalm 51. If you want to read David's prayer of confession, that's what Psalm 51 is. It's a beautiful psalm. Incredibly beautiful psalm as he confesses how he has sinned against God. He's totally guilty. He's not worthy of anything. And yet, he says what? You forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. David acknowledges. He confesses. You know, sometimes the reason we are experiencing difficulties in our life, I know it's true for me at times, has been the Lord's trying to get a hold of my attention. He needs, he needs my attention. He says, Mark, focus on me. You're, you're occupied in something that's wrong. You're trying to cover something for me. I need your attention, son. You're not paying attention to me. So I'm going to weigh a heavy hand upon you and to get your attention. And that's what God may be doing in our life at times. And so David finally gets to this point. And that's, that's the grace of God. You know, God's hand, heavy hand upon us at times. His discipline is always with love. His discipline is never out of rage or anger. Sometimes, you know, and the Bible even acknowledges this in the New Testament, that earthly fathers, sometimes we discipline our children out of anger. And that's wrong. But God never does that. He always disciplines out of love and grace. Because He wants to correct us and to bring us back into close fellowship and see the best for our life. In His plan and in His will. That's what God is up to. It's the grace of God. And when we come to realize that we have sin, then we can get to confession. You know, uh, some of this, you know, is very much like, kind of like uh, the big book, right? Uh, for AA, right? You've got to come to a point of acknowledgement that you have an issue before you can get help. Unless you can acknowledge that you have a problem, there's no moving forward with help. And so we come to acknowledgement, and then we can confess to God, and the result is always forgiveness. I love that. You know, that's a beautiful thing. We never have to wonder, oh, well, you know, could I be forgiven? Or maybe I've committed too much sin this time, or maybe this one's too bad. David stole a man's wife and had him murdered in the most despicable manner possible. He even sent the letter with him. The guy was too honorable to open it and see what was in it. (laughs) 
And yet, what does he say? You forgave my sin. David knew God's forgiveness. And the Bible is full of the forgiveness of God. I'm going to just read a few verses quickly here. Isaiah 118. Come, let us reason together, or let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. No matter how bad they are, through God we can find forgiveness and total cleansing. Psalm 103, 2 and 3. My soul, bless the Lord. Do not forget all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. All of it. This is the benefit of knowing the Lord. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from the Lord. We just confess, He forgives every time. Forgiveness. There's no end to God's forgiveness. In Colossians 1.4, in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. No matter what we've done, no matter how bad it is, when we come to God and acknowledge, yes, Lord, I've sinned against you, and I, I repent, I turn from my sin, I ask for your forgiveness, we will find the forgiveness of God every time. There's no one beyond God's grace. There's no sin too great for Him to deal with. When Jesus hung upon that cross, He took all sin, all of it, in His own body on that tree, and He paid its penalty in full, so that we, through faith, can go free from sin. Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked one abandon his way, the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, so that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will freely or abundantly forgive. We can come to God and we can find abundance of forgiveness with Him. But we might ask us, well, on what basis does God forgive? We kind of asked that question a little earlier. How can we be in this situation where God doesn't charge us with iniquity? How can we not have deceit? Well, that's through the cross. That's the gospel message. That's the good news of what Jesus accomplished at that cross. And His payment for our sin was so good, so perfect, so complete. The Bible uses a big word called propitiation. It just simply means that, that He fully satisfied the Father's heart in terms of sin and, it's, and the righteous requirements for justice. It's so complete. It's so extreme. It's so vast that no matter when we put our faith and trust in Him, when we come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me, it's so complete that it's as if we've never ever since. We get the robe of righteousness of Christ. And when we ask God to forgive us, His forgiveness is so complete. It's like, Mark, yes, son, I know you've sinned against me, but you know what? My son has paid for that, and now you're forgiven because you've asked for it. And now I don't charge you with iniquity. And there's no deceit in your spirit because you've humbled yourself before me. That's why. On the basis of Christ. Not because I can somehow achieve this on my own. Not because, well, I'm just really good of heart. No, no. (laughs) Not because any of us can claim that we've never sinned or that we're not deceitful people. Because we all are if we're we're honest with ourselves. But because of what Jesus has done. And because we put our faith and our trust in Him. And when we do that, we get the full and complete forgiveness of God. Praise the Lord. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance, Selah. The idea here, what he's saying in verse 6, the Hebrew is a little bit difficult here, but what he's saying here is that, look, when we get into trouble, we, need, we should confess it to the Lord immediately. We shouldn't hang on to it. That's what he's getting at here. We shouldn't try to do what David did and hang on to it for a year, trying to hope it'll just, well, everybody will just forget about this after a period of time. And No. He's saying, look, 
if we're faithful, we need to pray to God immediately. When we commit a sin and we know that, as soon as we're aware of it, we should confess it to God right there on that spot and not let it go one minute without confession. Why? Because when the great floodwaters come, they will not reach Him. You see, if we hang on to the sin and if we refuse to acknowledge it and confess it as God's children, God's going to say, okay, all right, you're not paying attention to me. Here comes the flood. Here comes the trouble to get your attention. And what's he saying? If we confess that sin immediately, if we keep short accounts with God, then God won't have to deal with us that way. He'll say, oh, very good. You've acknowledged your sin before me. Praise the Lord. You're, you're forgiven. It's, it's good. So we don't want to hang on to it and deal with the consequences of God's punishment in our life. We want to deal with it immediately before the Lord. You're my hiding place. You protect me. It's so beautiful, right, to see David turn here. He acknowledges that God's been chastening me. His hand has been heavy on me, and yet now he's my hiding place. As I turn to him and ask for forgiveness, he's my hiding place. He's my place of protection from the storm. He's he's so good. He's like that strong tower. I can run in there and be safe in him, but only when I'm honest with him, only when I acknowledge my sin. We get this notion, it's a lie of the devil that, well, you know, God's going to be so unhappy with you that you better just run away from him. That would be better than facing him. It's not true. We need to come before him in honesty and humble ourselves before God. And when we do that, we will find that he is full of mercy and grace and love and compassion. He becomes our hiding place, our protection from trouble. And God surrounds him with joyful shouts of deliverance. Praise the Lord. Deliverance from sin and the consequences of sin. We should confess. We should keep short accounts with God. You know, James 4 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. I've heard people say that God doesn't hate. Actually, He does. The Bible tells us there's seven things that He hates that are detestable to them. One of them is the pride of man. God hates pride in man. Because we have no basis for it. It's empty and it's vain. And we stand before a holy God who made us, who gifted us, who provides everything we need, and we think that we've done it ourselves. And that God hates. But when we humble ourselves before God, then He will exalt us. We must humble ourselves. David confesses, he receives forgiveness, he humbles himself before God, and God exalts him as a man and as a king and as a leader of the people, and we're truly delivered and truly set free. And then we praise the Lord. So David has some instruction here in verses 8 and 9. He says, I'm going to instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Don't be like a horse or a mule. (laughs) I'm thinking of a slang expression right now, but I won't say it because we're in church. Don't be a, you know, don't be a horse or a mule. Right. Yeah. Without understanding, that must be controlled with a bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. David wants to share this incredible lesson. And David was a mighty man. He's a bigger man than I will ever be in this life. He was an incredible, powerful king, a servant of the Lord. He wrote so many psalms. He was a great man of God, and yet he was full of faults and sin because he's just flesh like you and me. Nonetheless, he shares with us very vulnerably here his own story. And so now he wants us to really get it. Look, he says, don't go around being like a dumb animal that needs to be led about with a bit and a bridle in its mouth. Don't be like that. That was me, he says, when I didn't acknowledge my sin. And God had to lead me about about like a dumb animal until I finally recognized what was going on. He says, don't be like that. Anybody know why like uh, bulls uh, have the ring in the nose? What's that? No. 
Bulls, of course, are very dangerous. Um, they will gore you to death. In fact, I had one of my great uncles die from a goring years ago. Long, 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 that was before I was born, back in the 30, 1920s or 30s. Bulls have a ring in their nose for one purpose, and that's your only safety mechanism. So if you're ever in, a bull, in the field with a bull, if you grab that ring and you twist it, that 2,000-pound bull will go down to his knees and he'll be like a puppy before you. It's the only safety you have. He can be controlled, that entire beast, with that little ring with a little twist. Their nose is so sensitive. And even with cows, I used to have a lot of cows. If you just uh, smack them in the nose, they jump back. Very sensitive noses. That's why the ring is in the bull. That's what David is saying here. Don't be like that. Don't be like that big dumb ox that needs this, you know, to be controlled with this ring of pressure. Right? Acknowledge your sin before God. Keep short accounts with God. Be in confession with God. Humble yourself before God. Don't be like that animal. Verses 10 and 11. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy. All you upright in heart. You know, it's so good to acknowledge our sin before God. To confess our sin before God. Sometimes as Christians, we're hanging on to stuff. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never got to this point and realized that you're a sinner before God who needs to be saved by Jesus. You've never called out to Him to save you. You've never humbled yourself before God and said, Yes, Lord, I agree with you. I am a sinner and I confess my sin and I ask you to forgiveness in a moment of time. You can receive the forgiveness of God and we can rejoice and praise as David does here. We have so much to be thankful for this morning, you know, as we, we pause to reflect on the goodness of God and forgiving us our sins. So often, so sad today to see so many people living in total brokenness in their life because they refuse to live God's way. And you know, when we don't go God's way, it never goes well. It just doesn't. And that's why we see the incredible brokenness in our society today. People refuse to humble themselves before God. And they wonder why. There's such an answer for people today. If we will humble ourselves before God, we will experience the forgiveness of God, which brings so, so much joy, so much freedom. And we can be so thankful today and praise the Lord together. Do you know this freedom? Do you know this joy in your heart? You can. And if you don't know it, I encourage you, if there's something in your life this morning, you're hanging on to something, confess it to the Lord. Humble yourself before Him. You will find grace and mercy. You will find forgiveness and freedom. If you're here this morning and you've never come to faith in Christ, you know, the Bible warns us we don't know what a day brings forth. We're not guaranteed uh, tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts, but come to Him by faith. Receive Him by faith. He's a prayer away. What a joy to know the forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord. You know, and I can stand before you this morning joyful, not because I'm a good man, not because I've lived a great life, only because I know the forgiveness of God. And that is joy. That's all joy. There's no stress with that. There's no shame with that. I can, I can stand before you and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've done terrible things in this life. Things I won't share with you. But they're known to God. But I am forgiven. Because I have asked Jesus to forgive me. And all who come to him by faith will never be turned away. Let us keep short accounts with God and enjoy the forgiveness that he offers. Lord, we're just so thankful this morning for the joy of sins forgiven. For the joy of knowing you, God, of salvation. And Lord, we bless you that there's no limit to your forgiveness. Lord, there's nothing that we have done that has not been taken care of at the cross. 
Lord, how I pray that you would just work in our hearts today, Lord, that if there's anything that needs to be exposed, that you would show us that, Lord. Even David would would uh, exclaim that in Psalm 51, Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me, Lord. Show me the things in my life that I'm holding on to that ought to be given to you, O oh God. And help us, Lord, to be humble before you today. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your great love and mercy. Lord, help us to rejoice and to just appreciate afresh, Lord, the forgiveness of God. Lord, we ask for your blessing today. I ask you to bless each one that's come. Lord, encourage our hearts. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.